Welcome to Between the Ears, the podcast that believes it's all in your head. This is episode six. You're about to hear an unscripted conversation about confirmation bias. Where are we guilty of confirmation bias? Do we see it in others around us? Should we fight it, embrace it, or just accept it as our human nature? These are difficult questions. In each podcast, our goal is to develop some potential answers by the end for our listeners. I'm Stack, and here is Z Stuff with the start of our show. So this term is very new to me. Never heard of it until you introduced it to me and said, let's talk about it. Let's bring it. Let's bring it to the forefront. So I'm pretty sure that a lot of our listeners are going to be, you know, a little confused as to what it really is and how we use it in our daily life. I think that's definitely true. Uh, when I used to stay up and watch the Jay Leno show, he'd have the man on the street segments where he'd ask people to say, who is the vice president? I used to do that to people or ask other really basic questions people should know about America. And confirmation bias is, I don't know if it's an obscure term, but it certainly isn't a mainstream term. So I I think you're right. So we should define this better for our listeners. So I know confirm is to verify or corroborate. And bias is prejudice. Um, It's to be bent. Um, In fabric, there's some sort of history that it's to go diagonally against fabric. So I think that's kind of interesting as well for for bias, but it means prejudice, basically. And then I think um, one thing that'll come up is to define evidence. Evidence is an outward sign. And confirmation bias, then, to put those terms together from their origin, it's a tendency to take new information and to use it to confirm an existing belief. Whether that belief is true or not um, is what we're kind of kind of talk about. Um, it's a failure of what's called inductive reasoning, Um, And that's concluding general principles or some belief from specific or isolated observations, such as if it rained today, we would say, oh, it always rains every single day. No, it just rained today. Uh, It's going too far with a little bit of information or even repeated information to draw a conclusion that isn't right. So it's a failure of reasoning. Does that make sense? Do you think our listeners would understand from what we just told them? I do. I think we should use an example. Like an easy example aside from that one. We should use another one. Let's use a different one. All right. There was an example that you had given me for me to understand what this was. Oh, I don't don't remember. What was the topic? Uh, It was Drake. Oh, it was Drake. Yes, yes. I think we should use that one as well. I forgot about. It was where, you know, I'm not a Drake fan. Yeah. So you told me that to find other people who, other people that agree with that. Yes. And that that would be the evidence to show that I to prove that I dislike him and I don't think he's a good rapper. Yeah. So we're talking about Drake, the rapper. Um, He's got a lot of songs that have been popular. I think he's behind the Beatles and Madonna for the most number one songs ever. And if if Z stuff doesn't like Drake and she wants to confirm that her position is right, all she has to do is find other people that don't like Drake and then that'll reinforce it or do some sort of Google search and find a negative article on an album review and then say, I must be right because this one other person on earth or this one bit of information agrees with me. And she may be right, but we don't know. And contrary to popular evidence with, I mentioned like 30, 31 number one singles, um, one would say that flies in the face of the evidence that's out there, the outward signs that generally, or at least um, to a large degree, um, Drake is liked by a lot of people. 
So there is our, our simple example right. using Drake that, you know, you, we all have beliefs, some of them rational, some of them irrational. And if all we did was look at things to confirm it, yeah, we'll keep living in this little bubble and uh, we'll never challenge our thoughts with any other beliefs. So, and that is confirmation bias. I think that was a good example because I feel one way and you actually, you had a different mm -hmm. opinion. So I think it really worked out. Well, I'll keep going in the, in the music direction. Um, I used to DJ and I always say I don't like country music. That's still not my thing, but I do know there's country music I would probably like if I look deep enough and hard enough. Um, but if I just want to confirm that country music is horrible, I'll just find other people that think the same way. And that's a division. And I, I have found, I have some waving arms right in the studio that both of us don't like country music. So we must be right. Country music is lousy, it but is. we're both, I think, open-minded enough to know there's probably some really good country music. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the reality. Um, and we just have an opinion. We don't happen to individually like country music, but we can't say as an absolute that country music is bad. So those are fun examples. But yes. conf confirmation bias is a significant issue, and that's why we're talking about it today. Uh, politics is the easy example, um, but in general, just reinforcing your own beliefs um, with little bits of news out there. There's so much news. Their media is so fragmented um, that it's really easy to do. So. As we speak now on this podcast, uh, Hurricane Florence is moving at a walking pace through North Carolina yes. um, and South Carolina, the, through the Southeast, and it's literally going at two to four miles per hour. That is literally, I could walk faster than the storms moving. And in Wilmington, North Carolina, there was a reporter on CNN, and the reporter was in kind of like a fighting stance, like you're trying not to get knocked down. And the fight that he was in was with this vicious Hurricane Florence and the mighty winds. And he was saying how horrible it was. And then two people behind him on the screen casually walked by with not a care in the world and clearly were not fighting any wind. So the journalist's credibility is immediately shot, very shot. And people are ridiculing him as they do on social media. And um, yeah, that's, you know, if, if you took that, it's about journalism. Um, if you took that one segment without noticing those two people in the background or ignoring them, you would think that Hurricane Florence at Wilmington at that moment in time, and I know it's been devastating and it truly is awful. Um, it wasn't awful at that time in Wilmington. But if you took that one journalist, goofy presentation of it for whatever motivation he had out of self-interest, I guess, uh, to dramatize it, you would think that Wilmington was getting pounded at that time. So, and it was not, that would be confirmation bias um, at play. If you thought it was horrible and then you watch that segment, it confirmed for you it's horrible. When in reality, the storm was not horrible at that moment. I think that's kind of, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Like he really felt the need to sit there and make it seem so much worse than what it was. Knowing that people out there are really worried about their family members. Yeah. And why was I watching? Because I own a house in North Carolina, actually. And I wanted to know if my house was going to be flooded and uh i was going to ask you oh. how how it was and things are good but i i prepared like it was going to devastate the house and i learned some interesting things in terms of how flood insurance works and and mold uh it gives me new appreciation for people in new orleans who couldn't get back to their houses for so long mm -hmm. and uh how that went because it was really the flooding as we know that got them it wasn't 
you know, the winds, it was all the water and the, right. the levees uh, being breached. So, yeah, my house is okay if I'm going to believe the media reports. Thankfully, I have friends on the ground in North Carolina that can tell me for sure. And I don't think uh, there's any confirmation bias going on. So. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad everything turned out okay. So what we're really looking for is you and I, Z stuff, have to decide, are we guilty of confirmation bias? Do we go through this in our life? And that's what listeners should be asking themselves. I think it's easy to talk about a topic and say, well, that sounds awful. I wish those people would stop doing that on one side of the political aisle or another and other situations. Um, but I think we're all guilty of it, is my thesis going into this conversation, and that we all go through it. Um, what do you think? Do you think you engage in confirmation bias that affects your views and um, how you feel about things? I think everyone does it on a daily basis. I think you're just giving it a name. You're actually putting a name to what we do. So I'm, I am definitely guilty of it. I think people out there are guilty of it. Um, and today it'll shine some light on certain things that we do. Well, I have an Android Google phone mm -hmm. and I can click on my little Google button and then it has curated news stories. So the first story it has is on North Carolina and flooding. Obviously, I'm interested in that. So I may want to click on that and do things. Um, we happen to be in the city of Syracuse, New York at this moment. So they have a story on Syracuse Orange football, um, which I'm not going to click on. And it knows that I engage in running and I'm interested. So they have that Elliot Kapoji sets a new world record in the Berlin Marathon just over two hours. So I would click on those things. If this was um, my political views, things I had clicked on, it would be reinforcing my political beliefs, probably with stories. I, it doesn't seem like um, it would challenge it. As I click on any of these stories, the Google will say, do you want me to hide this story? Um, am I not interested in it? Um, or do I want to customize the feed in any way? So my point here is most of us use our phones this way, or if we just go on the internet, um, if you have some sort of curated news feed, are you likely to have a bunch of news sources that challenge your views or simply reinforce them? And that's confirmation bias if you just have things that reinforce them. Um, politics, again, is an easy example. If you're very conservative, are you watching Fox News? Are you getting a newspaper that's more conservative versus if you're more liberal, are you reading the Washington Post? Are you watching MSNBC? That's confirmation bias at play. I few of us, I think, take the time to challenge our beliefs by checking out other views. You know, what do you think, Z stuff? Do you challenge your own views a lot? Um, at times I don't, but I think the more conversations I have about what's going on in life, the more I'm like, okay, you know, let me just sit back here and think about it. But sometimes it's really hard to change my views. Um, it's hard to be open. <clears throat> it e is. E even if you're challenging it, to be open at that moment. Especially when you're so passionate about something and and the um the topic that you're talking about or something, you know. I think a lot of this, a lot of those opportunities, um, when they're face to face, they're at family functions for a lot of people, family holiday things where politics or religion or whatever comes up. Mm. Um, but you're not really prepared for it, and if you are, you're kind of dreading the family gathering. <laughs> it's hard to be open in that moment, is what I'm saying, to that kind of conversation and to have that kind of environment where you can have a really open conversation and i'm not sure if our relatives are always the best examples of who we can be super open with and have a great conversation i, I don't know i don't know who the ideal other represent representation is uh for a view that's not your own 
I know in my family, if there's different views, an argument happens. So I don't know. I don't really think family is the best to, you know, have. Talk. I, I think it should be, though, because that's a safe environment in the family. I think that'd be a great place if there's different views. In, in ideal area, there it's safe. There's it no is, risk. It's but... just it's family. They're going to hopefully love you unconditionally afterwards, even if somebody expresses their views in a way that we're not happy with. I mean, I don't know. It's it's touchy. Like for um, I'll give you an example. I have a couple of family members who are for Trump. Mm-hmm. I have other family members who are not for Trump. Not unusual, right? Right. We're a divided country right now that way. So, um, I guess conversation happened and an argument happened behind it. Did it change the relationship of my of the family members? No, but it did cause a little of a like. Uh, you know, do you think it's more common for that to happen within a family or for somebody to kind of cloak their views and be more moderating in what they say? I think that happens more in families because I guess you can be more open, like you said, and you have more of an opinion and you you say more as opposed to like if me and you were having a conversation or me and some stranger were having a conversation. It wouldn't be as open and honest. Yeah. Like I, I went with my aunt one time to see some movie that was playing when Obama was president or about to be mm-hmm. saying he was a Kenyan and, you know, he has a whole post-colonial conspiracy and he's Muslim and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, it bordered on a hateful movie, but I wanted to see how someone articulated those views. And my aunt probably thought I really sympathize with those views, but I totally did not agree with it. But I did want to challenge my own beliefs. Um, just to see. It didn't change anything for me, and I found it very distasteful, but I probably moderated how I interacted with her that would lead her to conclude we might have been of a like mind or mm-hmm. similar, when really I was just open-minded enough to listen. So I think that's. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. You have to be open-minded to listen. So I think a lot of listeners would say, boy, the country's so divided. This is a rough time in our country. So we've dug up another example, and this is from Jefferson Davis, American, by William J. Cooper. Uh, Jefferson Davis, for those of you who don't know history super well, during the Civil War was the leader of the Confederacy, the Confederacy president on the southern side. And um, that's a, a wonderful time to, if as you listen to me talk about it here, uh, to appreciate that things have been bad in the past. And I don't think our modern times are the worst by a long shot. And we'll get through this as a country, um, this division, and I'm sure we'll be more united at some point in the future. Things go through cycles, just like the hurricane that we mentioned. We don't always have hurricanes. So um, Jefferson Davis, prior to the Civil War starting, when things kind of started to break down, um, and the evidence um, of the country changing, the outward signs, going back to our definitions before, uh, things were clearly changing um, in, in regards to slavery. But I want to share how he justifies and confirms his own thoughts and acts as a source of confirmation bias for other people. So Jefferson Davis, in his reading, found the U.S. Constitution had nowhere authorized Congress to prohibit slavery in any kind. So he used the Constitution to justify uh, slavery. And he, he did not hesitate to defend openly the South's paternal institution. He portrayed slavery as a paternal thing to do, almost like the overseers and the plantation owners were uh, doing this for the good of blacks 
um, that were enslaved. He noted the existence of slavery among the Hebrews of the Old Testament. So he claimed um, a biblical reason and sanction for slavery. Uh, when he discussed the, the racial slavery practiced in his section of the South, he praised its positive impact on blacks, whom he described as being far better off than either the free blacks in the North or those recently emancipated in the West Indies, remembering that America was, was slow compared to other countries and other civilizations generally, um, at least from the developed world and, and from the old world, from Europe, um, to outlaw slavery. Um, in his script, in Jefferson's script, the author says, the slaves themselves recognized the validity of his interpretation of their situation. So he was speaking on behalf of the slaves, which is just audacious. And he said, um, three months three months earlier to where the author is referencing um, Jefferson Davis's words, he had pronounced the slaves happy and contented, living in the kindest relation that labor can sustain to capital. So there's his justification. And he continued on with that. Um, on the floor of Senate, he announced that the decree of God underlay slavery, which he found sanctioned in the Bible, authorized, regulated, and recognized from Genesis to Revelation. So it's difficult, but in reality, financially, this is a way of life in the South, and they did not have another economic system without slaves uh, to make a living. Really, they were not prepared to make that adjustment. Um, and the North, to a degree, was also dependent on it with the things they produce in the South used for manufacturing. But so he's used the Constitution. He's used the Bible. Um, and he's also said the slaves are happy. So there's no problem there. So that was in the 1850s and 1860s, um, with 1865 being the year we finally really got rid of slavery. Um, but even that did not did not change. So before Z stuff, you react to that. I'm going to say in New York State. Um, we were not different than other areas. Um, there were laws called the Black Codes um, that that came on the books in a lot of states, um, including the North, and it basically prohibited a lot of slaves from voting and it discouraged their migration to that area. Um, so there, there was a bit of hypocrisy in the North. I don't want to make this a bashing of the South. The North was complicit just in, in more subtle traditionalist ways, I think they would say, as I heard slavery and its its um, associated acts uh, referred to in Newport before. So there's a, a pretty glaring episode of confirmation bias. So what do you think about all that? I want to know where he got it from that uh, slaves were happy. Who is he to sit here and talk about anybody's happiness and not for nothing? You're going to sit here and tell me that you're going to go by the Constitution. Oh, hey, just because it doesn't say that, that I'm going to sit here and go with that. I think that's, it's really interesting that he really believed what he was saying. So it wasn't an act of pandering or, um, um, or any sort of just kind of act he was putting on. And I think in today's world, there, there are a lot of acts. People have an agenda. Um, they don't always believe what they're saying. Um, but we, there's a lot of use of the constitution as well. Strict constitutionalists will use that to justify why they're acting a certain way, sometimes legitimately in their mind, and sometimes just as an excuse to go a certain way. Right. But um, I think, any honestly, I think anybody who wants to sit here and use the Constitution or the Bible as justification, they're drinking the juice. You know, like Jim Jones, when he had everybody sit there and drink the juice and they all ended up dying, he's drinking the same juice. Oh, yeah. I thought so. you were saying drinking the Kool-Aid, but you're actually talking about something much more serious. Yes. See, look, look at that. Yes. Just... Yeah, no, I don't. 
Well, look at that. He, a lot of people followed in the Civil War. The Confederacy came to be. There was a war. In your example, people follow that. It's, it's um, I don't know, dangerous to say the least for leaders to engage in that sort of thing, especially if it's a false belief. No less damage if it's a true belief. Um, but there's consequences for this kind of thing. And that's why we're talking about confirmation bias. There's fun examples, like we're talking about music right. and kind of society stuff. And um, and then there's more serious examples, too. So so let's get down to it. Confirmation bias in our own lives. Um, I think I don't, I don't challenge myself a lot with both sides of the political spectrum. I do challenge myself in terms of religion. I'm picking the two hot topics people often disagree on. I challenge myself in religion because I'm so disappointed in my own church um, being Catholic that I think I'm naturally more open-minded and I don't, I don't discriminate um, with Christianity that much between other churches. And Jefferson Davis used Christianity as a reason for slavery as well. I didn't include that. So it really can twist the minds of people. I mean, I wouldn't doubt do generational damage in some ways. So I think I'm open-minded in terms of religion and I want to hear different perspectives. Um, and then politics, I could do a lot better in terms of confirmation bias. How do you think you do in those two areas if your mind is ever um, on those areas? Pull Politically, I'm not really, I, I try not even to get into politics because for me, once you start to have a conversation with someone, I feel like it drifts off into something different. It goes <laughs> into like race and then, then that's really where things start to explode. And, you know, it's hard to really at that moment, think about the other person's view because your my zeal for the topic is so heavy that I'm like, I don't, I don't care what you're saying. You're wrong. Like, I'm right. You're wrong. There is absolutely nothing that you can tell me otherwise. As far as religion, um, I have no issue listening to other people's religions. I think that's really awesome. I'm not big. I don't always agree with my religion. I'm also Catholic, but I don't always agree with it. Um, sometimes I lean more toward the Jewish religion, which is funny because mm -hmm. my grandfather's Jewish, but... I kind of lean more towards that, but at the same token, there's good and bad with that one as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm always open as far as religion to listen to other things and learn. I'm open-minded when it comes to religion. Politics, I'm a little more, this is my view. I don't really give two shits what you have to say. I almost think race is above both of those in importance today, even in modern times. Race seems to be an undercurrent when it comes to politics, maybe not religion, but just society and what mm -hmm. direction we're going into with race. Um, I've definitely listened to other views. I mean, I, I can actually articulate the nation of Islam position and I totally disagree with them and think it's probably a hate group and not based on, on much. I, I don't think the Mormons are really based on anything credible with their origin. It doesn't make sense to me, but I can still understand the position of people and I could definitely have conversations and, and integrate some of those views in some ways, but it seems like race is the conversation this country needs to have in a lot of ways. I think it's a touchy subject. A lot of people don't want to have that conversation. A lot of people constantly hold up their try to cover the sun with their hands when it comes to that. Um, I think a lot of people are just set in their ways when it comes to race and they really aren't interested in the different view and perspective because then they might have to admit that they're wrong in some type of way. And who wants to admit they're wrong? Well, if we're coming together to discuss something, one of us is trying to convert the other and or we're trying to reach a compromise. And the most reasonable position to get to is compromise. 
I think conversion is really hard. Um, I don't think people are converted that often. When people go to a debate politically, I don't think a lot of people are converted one way or another, um, unless it's maybe a primary level, um, that sort of thing. So it's compromise, I think, is what we're trying to reach for. But how do you compromise on something like race in some ways? I, I think the arc of justice has gone in the right direction on race, but at times I almost feel like nothing's changed in terms of race. Attitudes are not... Attitudes seem to be changing again, and probably not for the better in terms of race. I can agree with that. I agree with it on both sides, if you're white, black, and if you're Spanish. I mean, those are the big topics right now. Um, if you're white, you're black. Those They have different views on everything. But I also think that on both sides, it's not just all, you know, white people don't want to sit here and open their minds. I don't think black people want to open their minds. I think nobody really wants to open their minds and which is why we don't have a compromise, which mm-hmm. is why nothing is becoming like, okay, let's agree to disagree. Everybody. We can't even have the civil discourse to even consider compromise because we, we aren't even talking really talking at each other doesn't right. count for much. There has to be real conversation. So that part's frustrating. I think it, it frustrates all citizens. And you tuning out national or local politics, I don't think is that unusual. Um, I'd like to put my head in the sand sometimes as well on that sort of thing. It's hard. It's hard to really sit here and, and deal with politics because, like you, like we keep saying, it all comes back to race. And nobody's really sitting here trying to have a conversation about it. And it's kind of it's like history is repeating itself. I feel like, I feel like we're, you know, here's the civil back. We need the civil rights movement all over again. Mm-hmm. Like we need another Martin Luther King or we need, we need somebody to stand and be like, this is the conversation we're going to have and we're going to duke it out and not like fight it, but we're going to debate and we're going to talk until we can reach that compromise. And I think that's a perfect example that we all deal with every day. Do you think that on the, on the big level, society level, confirmation bias, that we change it from the top down quickest from leadership, like as presidents change and as our public leaders make positions or I don't want to say celebrity, but well-known individuals take stands in a certain direction, or does it change locally? Does it change with you and I talking about something like this? Does it change with two people talking in a coffee shop, two students in a class, two people at work? Like, does it change from a bottom up or from a top down, do you think, in terms of being able to have civil discourse about topics? Um, I think it would have to be from the bottom up. No, for the simple fact that there's nothing wrong with people taking a stance, celebrities, presidents. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're not where you are. They're not in the actual community. And I think it has to start with us. And then maybe it'll branch out and get go further. I mean, there's nothing wrong with people taking a stance. You know what I mean? But I think it would start with two people like me and you. Let's say we're sitting here having this conversation right now on the podcast. Somebody hears it and they start talking about it to somebody else. And then it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. It started with two simple people just having a conversation. I I agree that it's the population at large. Um, So And and then that trickles up to who our elected folks are. And I'm going to use that example of slavery because after slavery, and this is like the condensed version of civil rights after slavery, so very incomplete. Um, So I don't want to do too much injustice to it. But if you look at the 13th Amendment, which in 1865 got rid of slavery, 
it abolished slavery and indentured uh, servitude, except for punishment as a crime. So, you know, and, and prisoners today still, you know, they, they do their time and they often have jobs where they're paid very low wages and, and that kind of thing. They, they confiscate a lot of the money, partly because they, uh, they may owe restitution to someone. Mm-hmm. But a weird thing happened um, that they did convict leasing as part of these kind of black rules and, and the years afterwards. So the, the Civil War ends and it ended because of a war, obviously. So, you know, Reconstruction, um, the South kind of got forced to change, but they didn't change their attitudes. And this is, this is my point with it. Um, convict leasing was where somebody is convicted of a crime and not all the crimes were legitimate, by the way, and not all the crimes were um, people were incarcerated out of proportion to very small crimes. Like vagrancy is cited as one of the most basic things. You're homeless. You don't hold down a job. It's a crime. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you end up um, in prison for an extended period of time. You see, I mean, wow. um, but then they would lease out convicts um, to businesses, plantation owners, etc. And this went on through the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, 1900s, 1910, 1920s. It didn't go away until the late 1920s, early 1930s totally. And it wasn't officially gone until 1941 when FDR passed a law to that. So basically you still had slavery just under a different name. So the point of all that is to share that is the attitudes really didn't change. So you fought a war and we never really had the civil discourse conversation substantially Uh, beyond what was discussed before the war and the Compromise of 1850 to change people's attitudes. And if you don't change the people's attitudes at large, I don't know what you've changed for that to go on for that long until the late 1920s, early 1930s, that you still basically had slavery in the United States of America. Kind of mind-blowing, huh? Yeah, I've never known that until now. So that's interesting, but they found a loophole. As most people do, they find a loophole for things, but it, it, well, the idea would be if, if I robbed you and I stole $10,000 worth of stuff and I'm incarcerated, it's good and probably proper and just for me to work and to be able to pay you back that 10,000. That makes sense. So I think it was there for a pretty sensible reason. And there's some historical reasons it was there, but that's the basic thing, but it was misused it's, you know, out of proportion for the crime or why people even got arrested in the first place, you know, and we're not even talking about whether, you know, those people could vote afterwards and how they assimilate in a society. That again is another topic about how we get people back in a society after they they've paid their debt on a crime, but, but we didn't change attitudes. And that's what we're talking about. I think is attitudes. What is our attitude due to confirmation bias or lack of, um, and do you think we see it in other people around us? Do you see it in other people around you? Z stuff? I do. I think, like I said before, I never had a word to go with the attitude, but I do see it around other people. I mean, um, let me see. I was on Facebook today and um, somebody posted about the cop in Texas that killed the young black man in his own home. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a debate about it, and this one person always just happens to sit here. This one person comments on this. What's the debate about how it happened? Because I mean, um, if he killed him in his home, he killed him in his home. They are trying to slander his name, the victim's name, and say mm-hmm. that he was a bad person and that this cop was justified mm-hmm. in entering 
someone else's home and shooting him. Mm-hmm. So this one, the same person on all these topics, including like Trump and everything, he's just like, oh, well, she's she has the right to a fair trial. And who's to say that, you know, as a cop, you're supposed to sit there and give a warning. And, you know, maybe she did. And he's always defending. Mm-hmm. And so I'm there's a history there of that person not being open-minded. Right. There, there's a way to engage about these topics, and they they are not engaging in a way that that makes you open to it. It's hard. It's hard right. to have a back it and is. forth. Yeah, it is because they're definitely set in their ways, and it's just like I've come to the conclusion like I can't even talk to this person. Like I cannot have a decent conversation with you. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna sit here and watch you talk, and and have other people sit here and try to do the same thing that I was doing. So yeah. I think that's something that I see in, that's confirmation by well, yeah, what, someone else. What do you do with someone like that? Um, because then you, you just eliminate them from your life potentially. And then we stay divided. Right. Right. And then to engage them is also a challenge as well. Right. Because you know, ultimately that they're not going to be willing to understand where you're coming from and they expect you to understand theirs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Listeners want to share what's going on between your ears. Tweet us at, Capital B between underscore cast. Now back to our conversation. What so about you? I definitely see it in other people, and I'm, I definitely have it at times. You know that I don't. We don't know as speech writers, we're, we're going to properly phrase everything. Mm-hmm. We have thoughts and opinions, but it shouldn't. Uh, it shouldn't shut down other people. So I, I'm sure that I both engage in it, I resemble it, and other people around me do. I mean, politics again is the easiest example, but. Everybody has these views, and I think it's it's easy for all of us to to judge others, um, and it's a quality a lot of people bring to their friendships and and relationships is some some judgment, and what judgment comes an attitude or an opinion. So yeah, I think it's all over the place. Um, now, what to do about it? Should we fight it, embrace it, accept it as hum- human nature? Uh, the more I talk about it, the more I'm kind of embracing it as human nature. I mean, I gave a historical example. I sure don't want to embrace it with the example that I gave regarding slavery. Um, I don't know if fight it is the right term for it, but I definitely want to be aware of it. Right. I mean, you know, I think we can both agree to be aware of it and um, to try to try to seek out other opinions. Right. I mean, that is the best, that is the best thing you can do. That's the only thing you can do at this point, but like, that's a perfect example that I gave you that that's just who this person is. So that's the, that's his human nature. In my opinion, that's just who he is. And it's just best for me to leave that person alone. But maybe somebody else that I can have a conversation with that feels similar to this individual, I can actually have a decent conversation with. So, I mean, it it, it depends on the person. I find it hard to, uh, like in a message board or responding to articles that you see online, to respond and to get a good conversation going. Uh, I think there's maybe people are more closed-minded are the ones that responded to the articles online. So I got to believe more face-to-face local, like we talked about is the way to go um, to try to be aware of it and to do something about it, to have those conversations. And those conversations are really satisfying when you have an open-minded person on the other side and you're really talking about it. I usually learn from that person is my experience. Um, And sometimes I change my views or at least I certainly refine them or become more nuanced. I agree. And I agree with that hundred percent. I think I, when I have a conversation with someone, I actually try to be, um, I try to learn from that from the conversation as opposed to just staying closed minded because the more open I am, the more, I feel the more educated I am. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, we can all learn from others without a doubt. There's no way we can we can know everything. And isn't a lot of what we have for views secondhand information from someone else, something we read, something a parent told us, something a friend told us, something we got in school, but we didn't firsthand experience it. It's a bad game of telephone. Yeah, I can explain gravity to you, but I didn't discover gravity, wasn't among that, other things. Wasn't I can't, that Einstein? Oh, I think, is it? E, <laughs> no. e equals MC squared? No, I don't know. I think that was Newton. But um, uh, I can't explain how my cell phone works. So I think we should all, you know, over the next week after listening to this and engaging in this conversation, uh, purposely seek out alternative viewpoints and see how you feel about that and see if you can engage in the kind of discourse we're talking about. You've been listening to the Between the Years podcast. Have a future topic idea or just want to interact with us? We'd love to hear feedback about your attempt to have civil discourse about something, tweet us at between underscore cast. Thank you for listening.